This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Holly Cameron, who has been the pastor at the New Scotland Presbyterian Church for 25 years. She grew up in Alabama in a time and place where women weren't ministers. She describes her becoming a pastor as a journey, one where she is constantly growing and learning, and it's not over yet. The church, she says, is a place to try to understand something larger than myself, both within that community of people and with God. I I'm going to start with a really topical question. I had sent you kind of an idea what we might talk about earlier, and I thought, well, 25 years ago, being a woman and deciding to take a route towards being a pastor was quite radical. And my thought as I was a week ago uh, thinking about our conversation, I just got a wake-up call yesterday with the uh, Southern Baptist Convention deciding that (laughs) women cannot be church leaders. So it is not a dead question. Just tell us a little about um, what led you on this path. How is it, especially as a woman, that that you chose this? Yeah, it's, um, I would say it was a process. I grew up mostly in Alabama. So there were not a lot of women pastors that I knew. Um, when I went to college and I was involved in my college group there, uh, the leader of that group was a woman. So she was the first women woman minister that I ever knew. Um, and that was sort of my first exposure to someone as as having a having a woman as a minister. Um, and, and it was still at that time somewhat, um, radical, particularly in that culture. So in fact, I, um, I majored in accounting in college and I started working as a CPA and I was always very active in church. Uh, my mom always took us to church. I was active in church through high school. And when I was in college, I was active in a college group. Um, And when I went off to start working, I found uh, a church that I was part of. So church had just always been part of my life. And um, I mean, what happened was I was interested in accounting for about the first year. And then I thought, oh, that's it. (laughs) I have to do this over and over and over for the next 40 years. And I wasn't really sure that that was, you know, what was going to feed my soul. So, um, so I was standing in the hallway and my minister at the time, I think was going through the mail. And I think as a joke, he handed me a piece of mail that was about an exploratory weekend at Louisville, uh, seminary. And so I went, I didn't tell anybody I was going. Um, I just got in my car that Friday and I drove up to Louisville and spent the weekend learning about what it means to be a pastor and, you know, education and the funding and all of that sort of thing that was going on. And I just had a very strong feeling 
you know, as I was sitting there listening to all this, I thought, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm meant to do. And I'm not ready to do it quite yet. But but I was pretty clear in that moment. Um, and it was very funny to me because there was a group of maybe 15 or 20 of us um, who had come for that and had gotten to know each other a little bit. And we had a lot of professors who were telling us about the curriculum and that sort of thing. And, and one professor came to give his lecture and he said, well, the thing about ministry is you are with people in some of the most important parts of their life. You are there when babies are born and baptized and when people are dying and when people are getting married. And so you really have to love people. You just have to be a people person. And if you're not, you should really just go do something like become a CPA. And so everybody in the room fell silent. And he said, all turned and looked at me and and he said, well, clearly I've offended someone in the room and I didn't mean to do that, you know, but it was very funny to me because I when I was an accountant, I worked as an auditor and that meant we had to go into different companies and and get their help to do our job. And so I thought, you know, you have people skills as an accountant, too. Um, so, yeah, I just it was just something that I felt very drawn to and very compelled to do. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure because there weren't a lot of women. And when I came under care in, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama at the time, when I came under care, um, the committee interviews you as you are beginning that journey into seminary. And then you check in with them like once a year, they're sort of monitoring your progress along the way to becoming ordained. And I remember what they said to me was, um, we are going to take you under care. We're going to approve you beginning this process, but we don't think you'll ever get a job. And I said, why is that? And they said, because you're a woman and no one wants a woman minister. And I thought, well, I won't be coming here to look for a job. So I went to seminary in Boston and, um, and loved it and loved everything about it. And you know, stayed in the Northeast when I was looking for a job. I stayed in the Northeast and New Scotland called me and I've been here for 25 years and I would never have predicted that. So you just never know what's going to happen. What a great story. I mean, the narrative has all these ups and downs in the denouement. It's great. But just to unpack some of that a little, um, I don't know why I was surprised to hear you're from Alabama. I don't hear any of it in your accent. <laughs> but um, tell us a little about growing up in Alabama. What what was your family like? What did your parents do? I know you said church was always important and your mother would take you to church. But what, mm -hmm. what were the other parts of your life? Yeah, so... My parents are from Wisconsin, and that's why you don't hear a heavy Southern accent. Although when I'm around it, I slide into it um, most unconsciously. And so, so, so they didn't have a Southern accent. So we, you know, we learned to talk like our parents, but also like the people that were around us. And um, my dad was um, an electrical engineer and he was working for um, I don't think he was working directly for NASA, but for one of the companies, because that was the great space race in the mid 60s. And that's how my parents um, and I ended up in Alabama was he was part of that whole NASA 
conglomeration that was, you know, working to put people on the moon. So, um, yeah, and that's, and I think that's really a big piece of why church was so important because like I said, my extended family was all in Wisconsin. So many people had moved um, to Alabama to be part of that, um, you know, trying to get people to the moon that, most of the people I knew and most of the people I knew at my church were not from Alabama. They had all moved there because the dads were all engineers that were working on that. And so, um, so church to me was always like a family because those were the folks that babysat us or took care of us if my mom was sick or, you know, whatever. So we really were, a family, an extended family to one another, because most of us didn't have extended family right in that, you know, geographical location. Um, and my mom, when I was young, uh, was typical in the middle 60s. She was a stay at home mom. And then uh, when my sister and I were both in school, then she went back to college and, and got her degree. And then she um, worked as a blood banker at the Red Cross. So that was been her career until she retired. So how interesting, even though you were in the heart of the South, you had almost this subculture from different parts of the country, people that had come together because the fathers in the family were on the space project. So mm -hmm. that must have given you a very interesting perspective because you're living in the middle of a culture where your committee told you no one wants a woman is a minister, but yet you're in this subculture that maybe had different expectations for you as yeah. a woman. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So... When you got to Boston, how how did things play out there? Um, were there other women in the class with you? Um, was it considered more acceptable or was it still like you were pushing against the patriarchy as you went through your theological studies? Yeah, I think there were a lot of women that were... Um, in my classes and, and just the culture in Boston was different than, you know, sort of what I had grown up with in the South. And so it was interesting to me because at that time, so I went to school in 1992. And at that time, one of the big issues was inclusive language. And, and I remember thinking, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, we always called God he and father. And I knew that that didn't mean God was a man. And I didn't know why people were making such a big deal about it. And then when I went to school and, and I don't know, it just became more aware of, of how language impacts people and impacts your faith and that sort of thing. I just became more aware of inclusive language. And when I went home for Christmas that first year, I was so aware of the male gender language in church. And I was like, oh, now I'm starting to understand, you know, that why people are making a big deal out of this. So it just it had never been an issue because I had never been exposed to anything else. And then when I was exposed to something else, I started to say, oh, OK, now now I see why this is this is an issue that you know, we should pay attention to. So, yeah, I definitely had my uh, eyes opened and my horizons broadened when I went to, to divinity school. 
And then um, you mentioned you'd never thought you'd be in New Scotland for 25 years. What, <laughs> what drew you to New Scotland and what has kept you here? Yeah, it's very funny to me because um, when I was looking for a church, the way the Presbyterian Church finds ministers is that ministers who are looking write up sort of a resume and churches who are looking write up sort of a resume. And then um, it, it goes, I have to say, I'm not totally sure how this works now because I haven't done it for over 25 years, but it was kind of like the dating game. It was like all of the the people and churches who were looking all sent their stuff in and then, you know, a computer or something kind of played matchmaker and said, well, you might be a good match and you might good, be a good match. And so I had written my resume really to be a, an associate pastor with a large staff in a large church. And I did go on some interviews for those kinds of things, but it just never felt like the right match. And um, and at some point I broadened my resume and said, I will I will look at anything, not just associate pastor. And um, and New Scotland called me and I drove over from Boston. It was October uh, driving through the Berkshires with the beautiful leaves changing. And I was just like, OK, here we go. <laughs> and I was driving in from 85 and the first uh, the first sign I think I saw was Blessing Road. And then I came a little bit further and it said, welcome to the town of Bethlehem. And I started to say, like, is this a sign? What is this about? Um, and so I came and I met with the committee and, you know, I felt a, a connection to them and went through that process. And so it was just a good match. It was a good fit. I grew up in a pretty small family-oriented church, and this is a small family-oriented church, and so I think it just felt like the right match. And I didn't think I would be here for 25 years because that's very unusual. Um, and and as I say, my family lives in other places in the country, and so I thought, well, this will be a good first church, and I'll come and be here for some some number of years, and then I'll move closer to my family, or I'll move to a bigger city, or I'll, you know, something that's what I thought might happen, but it's just always been the right fit. So I'm still here. So what are some of the advantages? And I can imagine there are a lot of being with the same church for so long. Yeah, I think it's, it's just the connections of um, getting to know families and just like that professor said on that exploratory weekend, you know, being with them through, so many life events of marriages and babies being born and um, grandparents passing away and that sort of thing. It's just really those long, long term relationships, long seated relationships. So um, I think that's that's the best part. So does it have a downside? Is it um, sometimes stultifying or, you know, uh, um, being in the same place with the same people all those years and the job, which I can imagine is very demanding and very personal, you know, never having kind of a getaway or doesn't, doesn't it play out that way? Um, I haven't found it to be that way. I, I don't know. I feel like things are always changing. 
So there's always new things to talk about. There's always, you know, new people who are coming in and, and other folks who are leaving or moving away or whatever. And so it doesn't ever feel um, stagnant in a way. It feels like there's, you know, there's some long established relationships from folks who have been here maybe their whole lives. And so I've gotten to be part of their lives for a long time. But then there's always new people coming in, going, and, you know, the world continues to change. So there's always something to talk about. So tell us about that with so many congregations facing almost a cliff of drop-off in membership. Is that happening at your church, too? And why do you think that's happening? And what can you do about it? Yeah, um... If, if I knew that, the, I would I would have a whole other industry going on here. But it's it's interesting to just see how the culture is changing. And I think that's that's what's really happening is that the culture is shifting and we see it everywhere. Right. I mean, the bowling leagues aren't what they used to be. The Kiwanis Club isn't what it used to be. I mean, we don't gather um, in groups the way we did back in the 20th century when I was growing up. So um, so I think that's a big piece of what's changing is that we're we're very um, individually focused. And so I think it's harder. I think churches are, are about building community. And so I think that's harder in this culture for all of us, you know, not just churches. Yeah, I feel weekly newspapers are about building community and we're facing the same thing. And I just I wish I understood why a little more. Do you have any answers there? I mean, why is this happening? I think you're right. As a culture, it's happening across fraternal organizations, religious organizations, even political organizations. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea of why? Well, I mean, you know, some of the things I've read have talked about um, when uh, when we got air conditioning, everything shifted. And when we got television, everything shifted because before those things, people were out on their property, sitting on the porches. You know, you knew your neighbors, you were interacting with your neighbors, that sort of thing. And then. When television came, people were staying more inside their houses to do that. And then when air conditioning came, people were staying inside their houses more to be comfortable. And I think we just we just aren't as connected uh, with our neighbors and our communities in the ways that we have been in the past. Um, I don't think those things are necessarily bad. It's just a big shift. And so those of us who sort of were used to uh, conducting community building in a certain way are, are finding ourselves a little bit at a loss because it's like that's not how communities are being built now. So I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just a big shift. Well, there's a huge mental health crisis in the nation, too. And mm-hmm. things I've read seem to connect it to this isolation. Um, but Another thing with the pandemic, I think I sent you some studies that show half of the pastors in the United States considered leaving the ministry. And even now that we're mostly out of the pandemic, one out of four pastors plans to retire in the next few years. So how did that affect you, the pandemic, and why have you stayed with it? Yeah, I think that's um, it, it, it kind of put all of us in that situation of being isolated. 
And so the challenge was how to maintain connections when suddenly we weren't allowed to be together. Um, and, and it was a huge learning curve for all of us. And um, I, feel, I feel lucky to be Presbyterian in that our, our form of church government is connectional. So we're connected to the other Presbyterian churches around. And we had um, an executive in place at that time who said, you know, we need, to, we need to have the clergy people on a Zoom call every week talking to one another and saying, like, what are we doing? How are we doing this? Um, and, and that was really helpful to be able to talk to my colleagues every week and say, I don't, I don't know how to do this, or I have this question, or have you guys thought about this, or whatever the case may be. Um, it was a big, it was just a big challenge to figure out how to stay connected when none of us were used to being connected in that way. So, um, so it was hard and it was lonely. You know, I mean, I sat in this building by myself for months and months and months. Um, we were very lucky that we had um, an administrative office person who had um, she was young and she had done her her college studies and sort of uh, video communications. So she was just a godsend to us because she said, well, I can record you um, and and then we can upload this and then people can watch it on YouTube. And so, you know, she hadn't been here. I have no idea. I, I said to people, I, I'll have to come and stand on your lawn and preach to you. <laughs> so I don't know how else I can do this, you know. Um, and so that was, you know, we all got brought into the whole video recording Zoom meeting era of staying connected. Um, but it was a challenge. And now we're in a challenge that we can be back together in person but we've made this other option available. And so a lot of people um, for, for a variety of reasons still say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm good. I like sitting on my couch in my pajamas and watching church. And it's like, that's great. I'm glad we can provide that. It's also not exactly how you can be church together, right? Like you have to somehow be able to come together and do things together as a community and, um, I just think that's the thing that that we're really still working our way through. All of us, you know, all of us are still trying to figure out how to do that in ways that keep people connected. Yeah. I mean, we're doing this podcast or the computer when I used to do them in person. So it has right. changed a lot of how all of us do things. But if right. you could, I'm sure you don't have a typical day or even a typical week, but you mentioned, you know, in a light vein, you were going to stand on people's lawns to preach. Just could you tell us the kind of different parts of your job? I imagine like giving a sermon is very different than, say, sitting at someone's bedside. It's just you do such a, a large variety of things. Could you just walk us through some of the tasks that a single, because unlike the original idea you had for a job where you'd be an associate minister with this big staff, I take it, except for this very helpful office person, that you're basically it, right? 
Um, I am largely it. Yeah, I, I think that um, that's the thing about being in a small church with one pastor is, you know, you're kind of the hub of the wheel. So a lot of things are coming through you, around you. Um, and and uh, yeah, so th- it just depends. It depends on what's happening and what time of year it is, because I would say certainly around holidays or the end of the year with with June, we've just had a number of celebrations and stuff. And so it can be very hectic if you're trying to do many things at the same time. But yeah, I would say um, my week is largely focused around getting ready for Sunday worship. Um, that I feel like is my primary uh, responsibility to do. And so I work with our office manager on making sure we have the written program put together and checking in with the Sunday school teacher to see what's going on with the kids that week and are they involved and how involved and that sort of thing. Um, and, And the other people who run the church, the elders and the deacons and what's going on with them and what responsibilities are going on. But I feel like worship is really the thing the pastor is is most focused on during the week um but we have committee meetings and um and i do pastoral care and thank goodness i can now go again and see people in person because that was another thing about the pandemic was even people who were in the hospital you know i wasn't allowed to go see them so that was a very hard piece of the pandemic to say this is something i feel like i am used to being able to do is being at someone, you know, at someone's side in the moment of crisis and to say, you can't do that. Um, That was a very hard piece. So yeah, there are a lot of pieces administrative and, and all the other things that happen at a church, but, but primarily my focus is around, okay, what's, you know, how are we getting ready for worship on Sunday? So tell us about Sunday worship. Do you write your own sermons? Is that a, an arduous task? How, how do they come? How do they come about? Right. I do a lot of reading. Um, there's a lot of commentaries. Uh, we we follow the lectionary, which is a set um, prescription of what scriptures are being read in our particular week, and so. Um, Yeah, so I go and read a lot of commentaries and and other things about what does this passage mean? What did it mean when it was written? What does it mean to us now? Um, You know, how how can it continue to inform or inspire us? So I go, I do a lot of reading and then um, think, oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. You know, and then somehow mush it all together. Wow. That's a lot to do every single week. Mm And another thing that I wanted to ask you about, that it's hard to even frame the question, but Christianity these days, I mean, I've interviewed people, you know, that aren't ministers that say, well, I'm a Christian, but not the kind that you read about in the news. I mean, there's (laughs) so much now, I would think, as a church leader, what, how do you find your way through when Christianity has been in my opinion, misused um, for white supremacy or for discriminating against the LGBTQ community or like how how do you navigate through that? Yeah, that's that's a challenge that I think is just an ongoing challenge for the church, you know, through history. 
um, because the church is always part of the culture that is around it and always wanting to um, speak to that culture in some way. And so there's there seems to always be an issue that um, that is difficult that the church is struggling with to try to figure out how to be faithful in the midst of whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm grateful to be Presbyterian. I was not raised Presbyterian, um, but I'm grateful for the connection of being able to have colleagues to, to sit and talk about issues and try to, to work through them and figure them out. Um, when I first started 25 years ago, the big issue for the Presbyterian Church was if we were going to change our constitution to allow openly gay uh, people to be ordained. So not just ordained as ministers, but ordained as elders and deacons. That's that's how our particular church polity works. And, you know, that was an ongoing debate for years and years and years. And I felt very lucky to be part of study groups and, you know, meetings and just a larger conversation so that it, it wasn't like I have to make a decision about this. It was like we are in this together and we are trying to struggle and figure out um, what where is the voice of God in this and where is, um, you know, the idea of of loving justice and, and doing kindness and walking humbly, you know, those, those things are um, not always so clear cut. And so, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just feel like the church is always, always embroiled in some, some issue because that's just how the world is. You know, we, we, different issues come up and then we have to figure out how to try to address them in a faithful way. So what made you choose the Presbyterian Church? Um. (laughs) So um, my heritage is Presbyterian. I mean, Cameron is a Scottish name. And uh, and I was I was raised in the United Church of Christ. um, And. When it, which is a very small denomination in the South. And so when I went to college, there were no UCC churches around. So I just went church shopping and the Presbyterian church was the one that felt the most like what I was accustomed to. And, um, and when I moved to Birmingham, <clears throat> a friend from college said, oh, you should go to my church that I grew up in, which was a Presbyterian church. So when I went to divinity school, I had to make a decision if I was going to start an ordination process of which denomination was I going to do that with. And at the beginning, the Presbyterian Church was just it was easier to say yes now and no later than no now and then yes later because it had a certain time frame associated with it. So I started that process and then I took the polity class about, you know, what what's the structure of the church? How does the church function? And as I said, it's a connectional church. So it's, it's not unlike the government of the country because there were a lot of Presbyterians who helped, you know, found the country and put the government together. So the church is run by a board of elders. The churches in an area are all connected by a, a level of government called the presbytery. 
Um, then there's a larger region called the Senate. So we're part of the Northeast Senate. And then there's a larger body that's a national body. So just like you have, you know, your village politicians, your city politicians, your state politicians, it's, it's the same sort of level of, of being connected. And all of our leadership is elected by the people of the church. So, um, so all of that just made perfect sense to me. And I really wanted to be in a church where I would be connected with my colleagues. And it looks like it has stood you in good stead because several times you've mentioned, you know, during the pandemic and also as you were addressing different issues to have, you know, these colleagues kind of with you on the journey of figuring things out. Wow, our time has just flown by. Um, Shoot, I didn't get to so much. Do you have any closing thoughts, things we didn't get to or things that you'd just like to leave our listeners with as, as the most important? Or um, I would say, <clears throat> I think that we are all created with a desire to be known for who we are, to use the gifts that we have given, uh, have been given for something bigger than ourselves. Um, I really think that we are born with that desire to be connected to one another. And, um, and I think that for a long time, people thought of the church as a place to be able to do that. To, to think about something larger than myself, to be connected to a, a group of people larger than myself. And, and I think that like so many things in our culture, the institutions um, have had failures, you know, people who have abused them or people who have um, let them fall in some ways and not live up to their ideals. But I still feel that way about the church. I still feel like the church is a place to try to understand what is something larger than myself, both within that community of people and with God. And um, I just can't think of any other place where I would go to, to, to think about, you know, what is, what does it all mean? What's the bigger purpose? Why am I here? How can I do something that will give my life meaning um, I still find all of that in the church. And so, um, so yeah, I just, I love the church and, and I hope other people will come to love the church if they haven't loved it or, or find uh, a way back into the church if they've been hurt by the church. <laughs>